And I'm so, so, so privileged that I've been able to find a job that is an excellent job and very fulfilling in many ways where ADHD is an advantage and not a detriment. But I will say to anybody who's out there with ADHD and that's struggling, maybe there is an environment out there that you haven't found yet where you will thrive and don't give up looking for that environment. Welcome to Successful with ADHD. I'm Brooke Schnittman, and if you have ADHD and are feeling overwhelmed, chaotic, and negative self-beliefs, you're in the right place. The Successful with ADHD podcast shares my guests' journeys of overcoming challenges, offering their tips and strategies for success to empower you to take control of your life and thrive with ADHD. Let's get started. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Successful with ADHD. I have Dr. Jane Max Slaughter here, and our interview is actually a previously recorded Instagram Live. And due to technical difficulties, there are some times where it sounds like I'm talking over him. So please bear with me. This is a very strong and powerful episode. It's worth the listen, even due to some of the technological difficulties. So welcome back. We have Dr. J. Max Slaughter. Just a quick rundown. I'm an emergency medicine doctor. I have a history in entertainment. I grew up singing and performing with my family, um, did theater, was in a boy band, toured the nation with a boy band, and then did TV and film before I decided to become a doctor. And so that's kind of the rundown of, of who I am. But under it all, I'm just a very passionate person. And I've been so privileged to been able to engage in things that I'm passionate about. And because of that, it has masked the fact that I've had ADHD for most of my life and didn't have a diagnosis. Absolutely. And I know like for the people who've stuck with us from our first chat that you were saying that you've had handlers for you growing up, like people would act as your executive functions <laughs> and that's what made you successful. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. People talk about having like a body double or somebody essentially to keep you accountable. And that's what I just naturally had my entire life. And because of that, Again, I didn't really get my diagnosis until fairly recently. (laughs) I love it. I love it. So before we got cut off, you were starting to explain how you needed the leap to go from Mr. Creative, boy band, model, singer, to saving people's lives as an ER doctor. Tell our listeners how. Yeah, yeah. Well, the main reason why I took that leap is because I suffered from my ADHD for the first time in my life is truly what happened. I went from project to project to project. And I was able to show up and be successful because I had deadlines and I had to be accountable with like big punishments, essentially, you know, either like financially or emotionally or with relationships if I didn't show up and execute these different things. And so all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, I had about eight months where I was getting paid not to work by a network thinking that they were going to find the right TV show for me to be on. They didn't end up finding that. And so I was left to my own devices really for the first time in my life. And it was a miserable existence. I stayed in my apartment for most of my days. I think I was self-treating my ADHD by playing video games all the time. And I just would fill my days with unfulfilling video games. And it was very sad at the end of those eight months, I literally found myself on a phone call with my mom where I was crying on the floor. And she said, and it makes me emotional to say it, but she said, it's okay to come home. 
And for those of you who didn't know, I, I lived in Texas my whole life, and that's where I was in the band with my family and performing with the boy band and everything. And I moved to LA, and I lived in LA. And for those eight months where I had that talent hold contract, I didn't have any other work to do and was left to my own devices. I led a very unfulfilling existence for the first time, and I realized I needed a change, and I didn't really understand what that change should be. But I knew that I needed a challenge, and I needed to do something that was exciting and along crazy road wow. as becoming a doctor. Wow. I, I, I mean, I can see how emotional you are right now. There must be a lot to unpack there for those eight months where you mm -hmm. were struggling and you mm -hmm. moved into your mom and you, you went with it and you made this humongous yeah. leap. Well, I needed, I needed the deadlines. I needed the deadlines. I needed somebody telling me, this is what you have to do to accomplish things and be successful because I wasn't able to do it on my own. I had to have bumpers. I'm like this really energetic bowling ball and and I'm never going to make it to the pins if I don't have bumpers. <laughs> so I needed bumpers and those bumpers were but becoming a doctor. Years. You must have been really, I mean, I, I it might have even been longer. You must have been really passionate about wanting to be yeah. an ER doctor. Like, I know you needed that structure and those bumpers, but why an ER doctor? Well, at some point I just became trapped and I was like, well, I just have to keep going because I'm not going to be riddled in debt and, uh, yeah. oh, what's it called? Opportunity cost because I've spent these seven years not doing other things. So sure. I, just, I have to finish this, you know, at some point. But I, I know that it also helped the fact that what I did in TV and film and being in the boy band and touring the country was very well-known for certain circles, not all circles in, in my hometown, but enough people knew about what I did and what I planned to do. I'm, I'm very good now at speaking things into existence, saying that I'm going to do something and I'm going to grow this program or this nonprofit. And then I kind of trap myself. And part of what can make people with ADHD successful, like we've talked about, is having body doubles, is having deadlines, is having punishments if you don't achieve the things that you say that you're going to achieve. And I trapped myself in saying that I was going to become a doctor and then I had to do it because I was accountable for a very large group of people and and for my family and my friends and didn't have Okay, so <laughs> yeah, there's that accountability piece where you feel like you have to, you owe it to them, you owe it to yourself. But what about any reward? Mm -hmm. Do you find rewards helpful for you after you complete something? Yeah, absolutely. I mean... You know, everybody has the different love languages and stuff like that. And it's it's words of affirmation really for me. And so to get that certain praise along the way from friends and family who are like, you said that you were going to become a doctor and like, by God, you're doing it. It uh, really fueled me. Yeah, really that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, that is not an easy mm. path. So obviously you speak a lot about external accountability. I'm just curious on now that you've gotten to that goal, how do you feel and what does life look like now? Well, what's crazy is that now that I've become an emergency doctor and it does, it, it takes up a lot, a lot of my time. I spend a lot sure. of my time in the hospitals. I do mornings, afternoons, evenings, full overnight shifts. I even do 24 hour shifts at these little like freestanding ERs that don't see as many patients and the patients aren't typically too sick. But my brain, you know, I, I, I am forced to be in that moment with those people because they truly need me and there's a lot of stimulation like 
look at this EKG, go see this patient, put in these orders. You have to put the disposition in right, right now. There's so much stimulation that my ADHD thrives in that environment. And that's one thing that I think people can learn from my success with ADHD is that not every environment so is good I, for yeah. someone with ADHD. And I'm so, so, so privileged that I've been able to find a job that is an excellent job and very fulfilling in many ways where ADHD is an advantage and not a detriment. But I will say that anybody who's out there with ADHD and that's struggling, maybe there is an environment out there that you haven't found yet where you will thrive and don't give up looking you know, for that environment. I mean, obviously a lot of your success has to do with you and listening to your God and taking risks. I mean, talk about loving your job. You took a leap 11 years. Do you call it love? <laughs> I, call, I, I call it love. <laughs> I would call it love. But at the same time, I, 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 listen, I listen to my gut. And my gut really said to to dive into this crazy journey. You know, I I always wanted to be okay. an ER doctor along the way, but then as I was going through the different rotations, I saw very quickly what types of doctors worked for my personality and my passion and which ones didn't. And you would think that the operating room would just be a wonderful place because surgeons are so cool. I hate the operating room. It was the worst. I couldn't be goofy. I wasn't moving. I was standing still. I was like fully sterile the whole time. Yeah, I it sounds be, terrible. I couldn't be like my goofy self. If, if I were a surgeon, I would not be a good surgeon. And ultimately, even though the initial concept going into this field was to become an emergency doctor, when I first experienced the emergency room, and I experienced the simulation, and I experienced the attendings cussing. My doctors, like within like 20 minutes, would like they like drop the f bomb and stuff. And I think most people right. were offended, but I loved it. I was like, these people are right. pretty. These people are real. I want to be with these people Don't all the time. Kidding. And I li I listened to my gut. It became my life, and and I listened to my gut, and it and it was the right place for me. And so there was a lot of luck. There was also a sure. lot of reflection along the way. Sure, with your residency, knowing that the, um, you know, being, doing other types of work won't work for you. But in emergency room, I'm, I'm right. thinking, you know, it's a right. different case all the time. Your adrenaline is rushing. You have right. to work quickly and mm -hmm. ADHDers really do thrive in that environment. You know, back in the day when we were hunters, right? Mm -hmm. We see the animal coming at us, we can slay. Yeah. Uh, that's our brain. So like you're, you're using. Yeah. That's a really good point. I've never really thought about that. I bet ADHDers were great hunters. As long as we didn't have to just like set up in a blind and like try to snipe <laughs> something for a really long time. Right. No, no, like no, no, no. It's like. would be good for that. But like animals in front of you and you have a spear, like, yeah. man, I bet we were Yeah. <laughs> Like, so ER doctor, I'm sure I'm not one, but I am sure that adrenaline, right? After a day's work just drains you. So how do you recover from that? Well, no, no, because I mean, at some point you get so numb to all the things that the adrenaline is very minimal in the emergency room. It, it was initially. When I was a new resident working in emergency departments, I would, you're absolutely right. I would get exhausted from the stress. And I remember just taking care of 
one absurdly sick patient, you know, that was either dead or dying. And I was part of, fortunately, just a team trying to save them, not just by myself. That was very, very draining. But at some point, you know, your overall stress response to certain things is just, I mean, decimated to where it's it it takes a very, very novel experience to get your adrenaline really surging. But at the same time, those really, really sick patients do help to give you just the minimal bump in your adrenaline to, for me, focus me. Not everybody gets focused when they have adrenaline in their system. Sometimes it can make them kind of spin out of control. But for me, it's it's always made me my best. And that's honestly how I think I did well on tests along the years. Is if you told me to take some sort of like low stakes exam or quiz, I, I would blow it. I, I would be all over the place and thinking about, you know, a, a hundred different projects that I wanted to do. But because it was always like make or break, become a doctor or not, it was always adrenaline that would kind of fill me. But again, at some point I became numb to all that stuff. But now it's funny. I was like emailing the mayor of no big deal. a couple of years back and I thought it was so funny because like, no big deal. But it was, I mean, I took care of somebody that was dying like 30 minutes before. It didn't make me nervous, but it was emailing a mayor sure, that like made my sure. finger shake and my heart rate kind of. You know, it's like, this is what it's like. I forgot. (laughs) I guess it's that lack of confidence when you're emailing the mayor because you haven't done it before. But even though the ER, you see new things all the time, you've built that confidence in yourself. Yeah, totally. Totally. And in Mike's team, honestly, like, you know, you think about being an ER doctor in a vacuum and and it can be really scary. But at some point you realize just like how amazing the nurses are that you work with how amazing the RTs are that you work with, how great the techs are that you work with. And so you're you are a cog in a well-oiled machine. Now, it depends on the, the ER you're working in. You know, not all ERs are like that, but I'm very, very fortunate to work in ERs that have very experienced individuals and have also seen a ton and have experienced a ton. And it's a very, very collaborative effort when somebody comes in. Totally, and, totally. And they need your help. So you're a dad. You're a husband. You have a philanthropy. Tell me how you do it all. Following my passions. I mean, pe- people are like, how do you have the energy for it all? And I think I think I wouldn't have the energy for things that I wasn't excited about. But I, I just truly follow my excitement on a day-to-day basis. Like, I could get emotional talking about it right now. But I feel like I am so, so privileged to be able to engage in things that energize me all day every single day, whether it's working on my nonprofit work, whether it's spending time with my family. And I'm going to be real with you right now, you know, like going and sitting at a a restaurant with my kids is not something that I'm really excited about. And I, I struggle in those moments to be able to just truly focus in on my kids. But I realized that if I put myself in the right situations with my kids, I'm a really good dad. And for me, that's, we focus on playing music together. We, you know, go outside and like, you know, ride bikes together or ride scooters or play basketball. I am a really great dad in the right situations. And my kids are fortunately in a place to where they still yes. want to do what dad wants to do. So I'm like, let's do this. And they're like, okay. And I'm an awesome dad in those, in those moments. But I'm, if it's like, come and like sit in a room and, you know, listen to the teacher talk about, the advancements of yeah. your kid over the last six months, I'm the worst right. dad ever. My brain is in a hundred different places. And I'm so fortunate to be with somebody who yeah, balances yeah. me out. And 
What would you say is the number one trick to a healthy marriage as you have, you know, severe ADHD? Oh, man, that's a really hard one. I feel like I do have a very healthy marriage right now. And I, I don't, I don't really know what to attribute that to because it, it has not always been healthy. We've, we've had really hard moments, especially when the kids were really little. I mean, it, it sucks, but like, I, I was a very bad father to a six month old kid because my brain is in a hundred different places. I'm thinking about my projects instead of being able to, you know, like lovingly connect with something that is very, very, sure. very low stimulation. And it's, it's so sad to say that out loud, yeah. uh, but I have to be real. I wasn't a very good father yeah. to very small infants, but I'm, I'm a great dad to my eight-year-old and my six-year-old and my three-year-old now. He's getting to the point where he's old enough so I can really engage with him and he can really bounce his energy off of me and I can bounce my energy off of him. And that's awesome. And, and again, that's part of being a team, really. And I'm so privileged to be a part of a team that we balance each other out. And my wife's, some of my wife's like happiest times as a mom were when our kids were three months old and six months old. And now to me was like, (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's so, I feel so terrible. No, I understand. They can't. um, Listen, I have a husband with ADHD and I get it, you know? So yeah, no, that's, I love your vulnerability. I love your honesty. Those are things that people don't really expose. And in order to be able to move forward, you need to recognize the things that work and don't work for you and just own it, right? And it can sometimes be really hard when someone else points out your flaws, especially a partner, but like, you know, that RSD working in and all that. But it seems like you've done a lot of insight and you're able to take that and, and run with it and learn from it. So that's huge. Mm-hmm. That's huge. Yeah, I think part of that, my introspection and my ability to to be vulnerable to my dad. I grew up with like a really loving father who was just okay, tearing up in movies and telling me that he loved me and giving me big hugs and like, and he was always a man in my eyes. I I cry just talking about him right now because I I owe so much of my passion and my ability to love from my dad. And, and clearly I, I just got a lot of love and stability from my mom. My dad definitely has ADHD and I don't know how long it took him to get diagnosed with that, but he did not give me the stability that my mom did. And my mom very clearly was able to provide just a foundation of love my whole life. But when the time was right and the situation was mm. right, my dad was an excellent That's dad. wonderful. And he was right well, there with So you me. have supported parents that helped you through your journey. So. That, that is key. Yeah. Yeah. And again, privilege. I'm so privileged, yeah. but they yeah. balanced each other yeah. out too. So late diagnosis for you, what would be the number mm-hmm. one tool and takeaway that you would give our audience that if they want to be successful, what they need to do? I think the most important thing is to figure out what system works for you. And the only way that you can figure that out is through trial and error. When I started down the journey to becoming a doctor, my first few quizzes, thank God there were quizzes and not like finals or something like that. I totally bombed, but I took that as a learning moment. And I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have been successful before that moment to where I knew that it wasn't intrinsically me that was always going to be bad at school. It was my approach. And so I figured out the approach that worked for me. And that approach for me was writing note cards for every single 
bit of information that I needed to know. And it was insane because there were thousands of bits of information to know for certain exams. And having to do that, I would I can hyper focus when I just absolutely have to. And there's a deadline in the future. And I would sit down and my desk was insane. I don't know how many trees I killed. I'm not proud of it, but I would have just like stacks and stacks. Well, you're saving lives right now. And then I knew that (laughs) it worked out. Yeah, I didn't save trees, but I'm saving lives. But I knew that I, I gave myself that deadline of having to go through all of these note cards X number of times before every single test. And I would literally fall asleep in bed with note cards and they'd land on my face. And that's what would wake me up. And I'd keep going and I just kicked my own ass until, you know, I found the system that worked for me. And for me, it was not efficient necessarily, but it's what worked for me. And it worked, it worked. And, And the other thing I think that everybody could learn from my successes is acting on actionable items immediately. And it doesn't mean accomplishing those actionable items, but if there's a task that somebody gives you and it's important and you truly need to complete it, don't trust your brain. Your brain is not going to (laughs) tell you how, when the time is right to execute that task, either execute that task immediately. And that's how I get a lot of stuff done. Somebody gives me a task and I set aside all my other tasks and I just like, work on that until I finish it. And then there's something somewhere that has a list of these tasks that are going to notify me. There's some sort of stimulation, whether it's mm-hmm. like ADHD mm-hmm. piles, like there's a right. there's this pile that I just we have all to have attack. But if I don't, desk, the pile never going to go away. Post-its, whether it be a yeah, notebook, whether pile, it be a bunch of books right. <laughs> or a bunch of papers, we all have that pile. Now, but the pile can't be in your brain. The pile can't be in your brain. If the pile's in your brain, yes. you're not going to execute it. And at some point, yes, it's going to catch up to you. The yeah. whole idea of writing things down, that working memory, getting it out of your head, putting onto paper. I use a good old planner. Even though I have my phone, mm-hmm. I still have the paper planner because I remember it more when I write it down yeah. and I see it in front of yeah. me. I have a big dry erase board there. that I physically Go. have to look You're, at every time be... I put on exactly. I'm like, damn it, look at that stuff on the board. Totally okay. <laughs> but you could be a visual learner and a kinesthetic yeah. learner. So for you, those flashcards, the, just the sheer energy of moving them back and forth, they got your brain engaged mm-hmm. in the learning process. And I'm so excited that you didn't, yeah, that you didn't oh, give up on the way that you learn. You're still learning how you learn and there's no shame in it. There really is no shame. Right. Like we all learn differently. Right. And I have a ton of projects that I'm working on right now from nonprofit work to for-profit things. And one of the recipes to success for me is having people who are much more neurotypical and much more organized be a part of all of these things. And I, because again, you give me a deadline and I'm going to execute on it, but I can see the big picture in the beginning and I'm terribly creative and able to come up with this big long-term business plan. But when it comes to the day-to-day operations of it, I am the worst person to be in charge of that. But that's why I find balance with other people who are so much better at that. And together, totally, we can totally. be an unstoppable force. And I think that a lot of ADHDers need a CEO of their brain. They need that assistance, their CEO, partner, whatever, who is the organized one. And we come up with the vision, the ideas, the things that we're energized, as mm-hmm. you mentioned. And then as a team, you are collaborative. If you have two visionaries working together, two people who are excited about ideas, you might not get anything done. But if you have one that balance, <laughs> then we're talking. 
Totally. Thank you so much for your time totally. and doing this on your platform and sharing your story. Every time we talk, I learn more and more about you. I would love to do it again at some point. Let's do it. Everybody, if you're on here and you're not already following Coaching with and Rose, follow her. She teaches me things on a daily basis about my ADHD. And uh, she's you. very, very Thank valuable. You. I really appreciate you. And for those who, even though this is on your page, <laughs> for those of you who are joining, you have not followed Dr. J. Max Slaughter, I would just have to say you are hilarious. So it is extremely entertaining. Oh, and you give us like the latest updates in of the, the ER. I, I mean, even if you're a good human and you like entertainment, follow Dr. J. Max Slaughter. And I, on Instagram, it's J. Max Slaughter MD, right? Yeah, well, it's it's Dr. J. Mack okay, now. Okay, I changed it a couple times, but it's Dr. J. Mack now. <laughs> Thank you for that endorsement, friend. Thanks for listening to this episode of Successful with ADHD. I hope it helped you on your journey. And if you need any additional support for you or a loved one with ADHD, feel free to reach out to us at coachingwithbrooke.com and all social media platforms at Coaching with Brooke. And remember, it's Brooke with an E. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.